Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the podcast, hanging out in Doc Martin's house. So that explains the echo. <laughs> she just moved in here less than a week ago. So Doc Martin's with us. Say, hey, Doc, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me in my own home. So weird. So exciting. <laughs> also with us, uh, Jeff Donaldson, our fishing librarians here. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Clay. Hey, Doc. Finally <laughs> get to meet you all in the flesh. So weird to see people in real life. And Zoe's here. I'm here too. Uh, so, Zoe, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. And you've been hanging out here at Emporia State University. Also in the room today is Scott. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. He won't talk much, but if you drive around Emporia with him, he's like hanging out with a little old townie who will point out, oh, that's where Jim Bob used to live. He has lawn, used to be tall, now it's short, and it's great. And he might you remind me of my Grampy Roger. Remember Grampy Roger, Zoe? And we would drive around Lowell, Massachusetts. And as we drove around town, he would point out everyone's house and go, they used to have a boat in the yard. They don't have a boat in the yard anymore. And it's just these stories. Of, he knew everybody in town because he spent all his time in town. And I might use that voice as well. Yeah. <laughs> Only his was more Massachusetts. I just mimic the people I'm around. It's hard to do Massachusetts if I'm not in Massachusetts. So we just got back from a seminar at Emporia State University. Doc Martin wrote a grant flew me out here to speak in front of a live audience, and I talked about uh, fishy, well, I talked about science communication. Mostly I told the story about the, our epic fishing quest. And uh, Jeff Danielson, uh, FM Librarian, came down, and we even saw the crappie hippie and his wife Kathy, Mrs. Crappie Hippie, showed up uh, to join us and talk and, and just listen and blew me away. I don't think there's ever been this many fish nerds correspondents in one place. And the fact that we're in the Midwest uh, is just exciting. Your, your first Midwest real visit. Yeah. I've never been this far from the ocean. I, it's weird. Same. But I, I like agree. It. Because I've never been more than 1,000 miles away from the ocean unless it was in an airplane. Yes. And so, Zoe, what's your favorite thing about Kansas so far? Buffalo. I mean, bison. Bison. Get it right. Yeah, don't let those varmints tell you different. <laughs> Shout out to the Varmints Podcast. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to play the seminar for you uh, so you can listen to it. And then the students wrote – they didn't have questions live. Like the students were like, any questions? And it was like crickets in the room. And They were very shy. They were very shy. You were this because you're so overwhelming and they got really emotional about yeah, it. Yeah, they, so. they were crying. Yeah. Uh, it, was de- it, was, it was really was strangely quiet. <laughs> but they did write – questions out for us. So we're going to go through those questions and answer it. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we'll play the seminar. Jeff, uh, what would you just overall, what do you think of the seminar? Don't, don't be shy. Don't, don't, don't spare my feelings. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was great. Had a lot of students. I can remember from my days of college and grad school, it was, you would have to drag people kicking and screaming to seminar. And so the fact that you had that many people show up, Pretty impressive. I think there was standing room only, if yeah. I yeah. remember. Yeah, I can I can fill room. Now I've done the same similar seminar seminar to four people. <laughs> so, but they were very engaged four people. So I don't know, but <laughs> I, they were laughing at jokes and and it was actually the most diverse crowd I've ever spoken to. 
which I found surprising for being in the middle of Kansas, not to make a judgment, but from, no, what, okay. <laughs> from, from what my brain knows about Kansas, which is very little, um, I didn't expect to see that level of diversity, which I thought was really exciting and fun. So really cool. So we're going to play the seminar for you now and come back with Q&As after uh, and record this live. So you'll hear room noise. You'll hear all kinds of stuff. Just get over it. And here's a, here's a seminar. This is, this is, by the way, this is Zoe, uh, my daughter. She's also a Fish Nerds correspondent. And the, the, I'll give a whole introduction. And also in the room, we have other Fish Nerds correspondents. People came from all over, all over the Midwest, which I've never been to before, to, to, do, to be here. Um, Jeff Donaldson, uh, he is our Fish Nerds librarian, the FN librarian for the Fish Nerds podcast. We have a segment on our show where every few months we'll pick a book and we'll read it and discuss it. Just last week, we interviewed Emily Voigt, who wrote The Dragon Behind the Glass. Um, so, you know, we're kind of a big deal, right? You got to be part of that? Yeah, it was great. And now it's, it's weird, I can now text authors. So I'm like, I, I have her in my Rolodex. Which is an Um uh, The crappy hippie, it came out from, where are you from, John? Uh, Edgerton, outside Edgerton. Yeah, well, I don't know what that even means. But he came all the way He's our chief. Junk correspondent? And I'm your lead-free pioneer. Yeah, but he, free, yeah, he owns a lead-free fishing company. Uh, and that's one of the, we'll talk about lead-free fishing in a little bit. But I mean, I'm Clay Gross. I'm the chief executive fish nerd of the Fish Nerds podcast. Uh, and we're going to talk about where the podcast come from because the podcast came out uh, because of science. It's here because of science. And so you're going to hear the story of an epic fishing quest that leads into... Uh, the podcast. So it's kind of like the, the whole thing. If you want to follow the Fish Nerds, I highly encourage you all. In fact, stop the whole thing right now. You keep recording. Who has a smartphone in their pocket right now? Before I even begin, uh, whether it's an iPhone, doing this project, the Fish Nerds weren't called the Fish Nerds. I used to work in New Hampshire Audubon, uh, which is people know as bird places, but I actually worked at a fish, Audubon's only fish place called the Emskeg Fishways, which is a science center that focused on migratory fishes. And my boss at the time, his name was Dave Kelly. He's the other founder of the Fish Nerds. And what happened years after we both quit this job, Dave was driving around bored, and he called me up and he says, hey Clay, I feel like I've never done anything with my life. You want to do something really cool? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, I want to catch every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And I said, all right, yeah, let's do it, and let's eat them too, because I want to level up. You know, and if anyone who follows the Audubon, like James Audubon, he was the founder of the Audubon. He killed every animal he met the first time he met it. So why shouldn't we too? He, what he does, he find a new bird, shoot it, mount it, put it in his collection. I think you have a collection here, very similar to that. Um, right, where is it downstairs? So I saw it today. So, um, I, so we did this. We gave ourselves one year to complete this epic fishing quest. And we created a website, and we weren't the fish nerds, we were catchemall.com. This is before Pokemon, so we weren't, uh, <laughs> we weren't aware of that craze until after. Uh, and we decided to start, this was January we started, it gave us one year. New Hampshire has 48 species of freshwater fishes. Kansas has somewhere, what, 100 and something, 300 something, 1,000? No. What do you have? 144, and, uh, and, and so very different. So 144 is hard, right? 48, perfect. 
Incidentally, New Hampshire has 48 mountains over 4,000 feet, so people go on those mountain hiking quests all the time, so it matched up with fishing. We thought, perfect, we're going to be fishing millionaires and experts at everything. So we launched the quest January, and we had to catch the very first, the very first fish we chose because um, it's the burbot. Anyone ever hear of a burbot? Do you have burbot out here? You've heard of burbot? Yeah. Where have you heard about them? Uh, Lake Superior. Yes, very popular up there. What do they call them in Lake Superior? Burbit, yeah, eel pouts in Minnesota, I think they call them eel pouts in some places, Mariah, Lawyers, Lincoln. There's about 300 names for these things. Latin name? Loda Loda. Loda Loda, the fish so nice, named it twice, right? Right, you're standing by the microphone, so come on a little bit this way so oh. you know I'm knocking. Um, and so we decided this, start with this fish. Why do you think we had to start with this fish? Because it was January. Why is that special about it? Anyone know anything about burbits? Ice fishing. Ice fishing. But what do they do in the summertime? No. Ever hear of estivation? Am I saying the word right? They almost hibernate in the summertime. They bury themselves down in the mud, and virtually no one catches them in the summertime. So we said, first fish, bourbon. And the technique for catching these in New Hampshire is set lines in the water when we got it. So right away, to catch it, we're already starting to incorporate science into our writing. We start doing it. I'll tell you what, what this means in a minute for science. Oh, you could do that for me, couldn't you? All right. Uh, number two was just purely an accidental catch. One of our rules of our quest is we had to catch them by legal fishing means. Oops. Why, what are you doing? That was an accident. You're giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> now they're going to thank you. Um, <laughs> um, one of the rules of the quest is we had to to keep the first legal example of each fish we caught. So in New Hampshire, there's no size limit for yellow perch. So if you catch a three inch yellow perch, that's the one you're keeping. This one's probably four and a half inches long and we kept it. And we, we caught this fish in a town called Effingham, New Hampshire. Uh, and the, the, that's really a town. It's an old mill town up in the White Mountains. And with this tiny little fish, we know what to do with it. So we said, well, we gotta cook it. And neither, neither one of us are chefs. So we're trying to find creative ways to do it. So we're effing ham. Perfect. We're going to make a sandwich. So we made an effing ham sandwich. So we went to the deli, bought one effing small piece of ham, an effing small piece of bread, some effing cheese, and put it on the fish, effing ham sandwich. Perfect, right? So it just kind of worked for us. Hit it. All right. And we, if we're going to do an epic quest, we're going to write. Anyone here writers? No, science people? You guys become writers. It's good for you. Uh, and we, we, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we became writers. And we, we wrote for two magazines, uh, and it was every other week we had an article due. And so we thought, no problem, we're going to document the entire quest. As soon as we started writing, we had to start getting the science right. We had to start <laughs> nailing down that science. And we're talking about these fishes. If you're publishing it and you get it wrong, People like Doc Martin will call me and say, um, actually, I'm like, what a nerd, you know? So we have to start getting it right. Writing's important. Also, it makes you a better communicator. And so we went from our first few articles, really hard for us to write, uh, and then it became easier as we, as we got going, and we tried to be creative with titles. And this is important. If you're going to be communicating science from a bunch of nerds like you guys to the public, you want to make it easy to digest, right? So science should be uh, consumable for the masses. We don't want to make people think that scientists are a bunch of elite, no fun people, we want to make them feel like they're fun. And scientists are really fun people. Uh, and we, our job as communicators is to kind of bridge that gap from science people to everybody else. In our case, it was the fishers. 
we can hit it. But of course, I'm always gratuitously sticking photos of my kids in our, in our pictures, and that, there's no other reason for this slide at all except for those are my kids. One of them is with me today. She's skipping school for this. Can you believe it? Uh, but these are, some, these are some of our quest actions. We did a lot of ice fishing. That's a yellow perch. So we caught, and this was our pike we caught for the quest. And that's my daughter, Sammy. At the time, that was 2011. She's, how old is she now? I don't know. She's eight now. And now, do we have pike here in Kansas? Yes? Yeah, one lake. One, only one lake in the whole state. New Hampshire, they're not native to our state. Are they native to Kansas? No. No. So I told you earlier, there's 48 species of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. Of those 48, maybe, there's some, some debate on that, maybe 12 are natives. And the rest are invasives. Or, sorry, introduced. It depends on if you like that fish, whether it's native or introduced. It's a very complicated thing. I love them all, but I also don't deny that Largemouth bass are invasive, and bluegills are invasive, and pike in New Hampshire people are really worried about right now taking over because they eat everything. What are you doing? Uh, my mask. <laughs> All right, go ahead and hit it now. <laughs> now, very shortly after all that writing, uh, we started getting noticed by the media, and our biggest news channel in New Hampshire, Channel 9, uh, picked us up and they said, hey, you guys want to come be on TV and do some quest fishing on TV, an epic angling quest. We're like, yes, of course we do, because what we were getting attention, it was fun. You can push play. I'm not going to make you watch this. This is uh, available on the YouTubes, and it's about... Denali Lake, species here. Can these two guys catch and eat every freshwater fish species in New Hampshire in one year? Not only are we out enjoying New Hampshire, but we're participating in the food chain. All right, cheers. 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 The quest rules, we always have to eat them together, but we can fish separately. What goes up? So that just, just kind of, down. so when you start, when you start doing science communication, you start talking about science with people and writing about it, you don't get a lot of feedback. And so when you finally get that phone call from the big news channel in your state, that motivation to keep doing it sticks with you. And that's for, for us, and again, we weren't science writers. We, weren't, we never even call ourselves science writers. We we're just writing about our adventures, but making sure that we're talking about the natural history part of the fish and getting it as accurate as we can. But it gets really exciting. So when Chronicle called us, we hit the big time. We're famous. Then we're gonna start selling our stories to papers all over the country. Uh, and the, the sad reality is, is your friends and family all see it and will call you up and say, I saw you on TV, and that's as far as that usually goes. However, the fact that we were on a quest and we had a series we were working on, and because it had an end goal and a finite amount of time, uh, and it was very specific, it actually was really exciting to a lot of people. You can guess the next slide. Do you know how? Uh, we actually got picked up by every media in the state uh, and in Boston. So we were local papers like Conway Sun, I live in Conway, New Hampshire, but also um, the Union Leader, New Hampshire's largest newspaper, did a front page above the fold story about us fishing, which was for a couple of weirdos fishing. It was magical. National Geographic signed a contract with us. They never actually used it, but we signed a two-year contract with them to make an ice fishing reality show called The Ice Holes. 
Um, and they, they didn't use it with us because we refused to get drunk on camera and play their scripted reality antics. But they, we did have a two-year contract with them, which we was really excited about. Uh, word of mouth from public radio, uh, New Hampshire Public Radio, Boston Public Radio started having us in as regulars. Uh, outside TV did stories about us, and we were like rocking and rolling, and we were like, if it's possible to be popular in our pocket of New Hampshire for fishing, we kind of hit it right there, okay, the sweet spot. We were a little early for the social media wins. This was 2011, so smartphones weren't as popular as they are now, but we were, it was happening for us. And we thought, go ahead, and we thought we were going to sell a book. And that was the goal was, so we're going to write a whole book about this. It still might happen, but, but let's talk about a couple more of our quest fish, because I really like these two fish. Uh, and these two fish really changed my brain on how I talk about fish. First of all, talking about fish is hard, because nobody knows what a fish is. Does anyone, anyone know what a fish is? Can anyone define a fish? Like, give me three things maybe all fish have in common. What, well, it depends on how you use the word fish. Oh, see, here we are, right? We're already splitting the hairs. So what's your name? Uh, Alexi, Owl. Yeah, and are you a teacher here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say a uh, broad sense fish is a... I love this. Is a... So easy. Craniate right? vertebrate. <laughs> Yeah. Way so to talk would, to the so people, Alexis. Yeah. <laughs> like humans would be fish by yep. that definition. We, we would by that definition. Yeah. I yeah. like I like Because it gets all the things people call fish plus everything that's I've related, got a related bit of crush to crush on you right now, yeah. just so you know. Uh, so you make it sound so simple, but most people, when you really pin them down, like when I teach science to kids, I, I was a science teacher for a while, I would say, okay, if you're talking about mammals, we will say all mammals have fur, they have. Mammals. Warm blood. Warm blood. Babies are born. Alive. Most they, of the time. Most Okay, stop it. Uh, they have teeth. Uh, so, but, but most of the time, you can pick about five or... Get out. Uh, you, can, you can pick about five or six traits, and you can say, all mammals have these things in common. And when you get into fish, that gets much more difficult. And then when you get into migratory fish, it becomes even more of a challenge. So we caught our, our 19th fish was the American eel. And this fish, I just find so... So cool. Anyone know what's special? Not you. Anyone know what's special about American eels? What's special about American eels? You've got it in your face. I can tell that you're. I'm a snake down there. I love snakes too. Snakes are awesome, right? Uh, so American eels are what we call catadromous fish, right? Which means they're born in the ocean, they live in fresh water, and they migrate back to the ocean again. Uh, and you have American eels probably here in Kansas, I would bet. Uh, they can get everywhere. They cross roads. They go through underground rivers. They're just such a cool, cool fish. And we started writing about this fish. We got it wrong the first time we talked about this fish. We started getting letters from people. And one of the things I really like about science is science, is, for me, has always been about getting it wrong and then learning from those mistakes. Um, because when someone shows me I'm wrong, I don't get defensive. I get kind of like excited about it because that means I get an opportunity to like, pick up a new idea and run with it. Uh, and we'll talk about being wrong in a minute because I got some stuff really wrong. Hit it one more, Zoe. So that was fun. And then my very favorite native fish, one of our few natives of New Hampshire. Anyone know this fish? What is it? Lamprey. Sea lamprey, yeah. Petromyzin marinus, a stone sucker of the sea. Love these guys. Love them. Who loves lampreys? 
I love you. I knew you would love it. Why do you love lampreys? They're just cool. I mean, they're so cool. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't know what a sea lamprey is, is uh, they are anadromous fish, so like almost the opposite life cycle of a American eel. In New Hampshire, they are native. It means that they've always been there for millions and millions of years. Uh, native Americans used to eat sea lampreys. They would salt them and I don't know salt them, but they would they would dry them all out and smoke them and eat them. They feed them to the kids because they don't have any bones. Uh, the settlers in Manchester, New Hampshire, Manchester used to be called Dairyfield. Uh, Robert Stark, one of our founders of one of our towns, um, used to make call it Dairyfield beef, and they just had barrels of these things, and they'd come up the rivers in, in the millions. They just pick them up out of the water and feed them everybody. Uh, so this, I ate this big female. First one I ever, no, sorry, second one I ever ate. I've eaten two now. Have you eaten the lamprey? I've not. I, I recommend it. Um, it's totally fun. There's no bones, right? It tastes like overcooked shrimp because I overcooked them. Uh, but they're <laughs> really cool fish. They have mouths of these circular jaws of teeth with a tongue that drills holes in the fish. And the saliva is an anticoagulant, so they just bleed and goo into the fish's mouth, into the lamprey's mouth, and just grow like crazy. Um, they spend seven to 14 years in freshwater filtering, filter feeding before they migrate to the ocean and they come back a year later as giant fish. So one of the fastest growing chordates, I think, that we have. They're huge. Yeah, you're thinking, your face is screaming something. Wow, yo. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime anyone has anything to say, just yell it. We're good. Um, but I love it. I love everything about this fish. I felt, this is the first one I felt really terrible killing. I did not like, it was on her. She was on her way to die anyway. But I, I still felt terrible about it. We founded an event in Manchester called Sea Lamprey Appreciation Day because every time we were talking about sea lampreys, people would hate us. We got so many emails, letters, phone calls. How dare you promote sea lampreys as a good animal? And we're like, well, it's just an animal. And we happen to like them and they're natives. But people who, especially from the Midwest and from the Great Lakes region, hate these things because they got into the Great Lakes uh, because of us, because of people, and they wrecked sport fishing for a lot of people. I was talking to someone at lunch today, uh, and you, you've caught fish with lampreys on them? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they weren't that big, though, were they? No, they weren't that big. No, you can move us forward, Zoe. Yeah, but they're, but they're way fun. And What's that? Did you go too far? No, I went far. You're in far, okay. All right, so after that happened, we had an opportunity. Now, this month is, is November, and this is really important, this opportunity matches. Uh, in 2010, a book called The Essential Guide to Getting Published came out. People who wrote that book created a, an event called National Novel Writers Month, NaNoWriMo. If you walk around downtown, <coughs> I was there today, in your bookstore windows, a big sign says NaNoWriMo right on it. So I know your town's aware of it. But no, November is National Novel Writers Month. People who wrote this book created this month to sell more of their book. It's like snake oil salesmen, they travel around. And they were on tour doing an event called Pitch a Palooza. And they would go to bookstores and you would put your name in a hat and they draw your name out of a hat. And if your name came up, you had one minute to sell your book idea to a live audience. And you can't tell from these pictures, we were sitting on the floor because the 100 chairs in the room were already full of people. And we put our name in the hat and our name came up. And we, before we went, we planned our, our one minute presentation. We had one minute to sell our book idea and we pitched our book and we beat out um, a bunch of other writers, including NPR personalities, other people who have already written books, and we won this event. We, and the deal, the prize for this event, it was Judge American Idol Style, so the, the judges were um, published authors, uh, publishers, and agents. And the prize was 
a connection with an agent in our genre. So we actually won a New York City agent who was going to sell our book idea, and we were going to become famous fish writers. Just like all the names you can name that are famous fish writers. We were their guys, and we were going to do it. And uh, they, the, the, the guy who the guy who who he got for an agent uh, was not very good at it. <laughs> he was just a friend of theirs, and I think the whole thing was just because to enter the contest, you had to buy this book. And I think there was just like this never-ending book tour, and they were just signing up people on a monthly basis, selling books. So it was kind of a snake oil, like, medicine man show. It was really good medicine man show. I was sucked in. I'm usually, like, the first one to get my hackles up when I hear this kind of pitch. But we had a good time selling our book idea. Winning felt really good. It always feels good to win something. But a year later, Quest was still, we didn't complete our quest, by the way, in that one year time. Turns out catching every kind of fish on a hook and line is really hard, especially northern red belly dakes. If you ever catch a northern red belly dakes on a hook, you're a lucky person. They're really hard. It's possible I've done it. Uh, had to tie a little, on a number 32 hook, a little white fly with a trailing piece of string, and it's the string, the little teeth on, I think they call it frangel teeth, the little teeth on the little minnow. Is that pretty, I don't know stuff to talk. Um, got the string and I was able to drag it over a net and scoop it out of the water. Um, barely caught him, but we caught it and we ate him. Anyway, incidentally, the, the orange on my logo, that color came off the scale of an Northern Belly Dance. So I saw that color and I went, I want that color on the logo. So that's where that comes from. Yeah, that's nerdy. That's what we do. But after about a year of books selling and we talked to publishers and all kinds of people, turns out nobody wanted to buy our book. They kept saying, oh, you guys are too New Hampshire. You're too regional. You're too nerdy. You're not reaching people. And then we said, all right, well, let's do something different. And that day, after we finally decided we were never going to publish and fired our agent, we changed our name from the Catch Em All Guys to the Fish Nerds. And we launched the Fish Nerds podcast. Now, fame and fortune coming our way, right? Hit it, Zoe. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the hell of it! That was written by uh, Wally Pleasant, not by me. Uh, that's actually our newest theme. I just, we didn't write that, and I, I just had to use it because I love it. Uh, move us on. I don't know, you can't do that, you got to hit the, the thing. Uh, and then, so now we've hit it, and now we make our first mistake, not first, but our first real mistake. Our first mistake that got us in trouble on social media, and in trouble with public radio, and in trouble with shark biologists, and in trouble with everything, because <coughs> now we have this podcast, and we're reaching people, and we got called by a guy named um, Captain Sean. Now, Captain Sean's a, a, a shark fisherman out of Maine, and he's a Mako guy. And so he says, you guys, I wanted to come fishing on my shark boat. And we're like, okay, well, a shark's sustainable. I don't know. We didn't know. So we called up the Maine Fish and Wildlife Department, guys who, natural resources guy, and we said, hey, listen, we're going to go to Maine. We're going to go fishing for a mako shark with our friend Sean. And uh, is that an okay thing for us to do? Is it, are we getting in trouble with this? They go, oh, no, totally cool, totally sustainable. Go for it. And we're like, right on. We only asked one guy. And... So we went and caught this big mako shark, and it was an exciting day. It was nine hours in the water for one fish. And then the next day, 
we got invited to come on Boston Public Radio. And so we bring some shark into Boston Public Radio, and we're hanging out with Jim and Marjorie Egan, who are, they do a political talk show, a very left side talk show, and their audience, of course, very, very much in the same uh, in brain space. Those guys are just really cool. And we did the shark, we had a great time, we talked about our trip, we played their quizzes and did all their things, and then I got home and my email inbox flooded with people going, what the hell are you guys doing? How dare you <laughs> go out there? They start hitting me with all these information that's different than what I collected. Uh, Mako sharks are, they're not a state-by-state -state fish. When you're in the ocean, they're pelagic. They're traveling the entire ocean uh, and eating things. So there's a whole bunch in Maine. These guys are super popular. You see people see them all the time in Maine. There's thousands and thousands of them. But worldwide, they're in trouble because of overfishing, like shark fin soup people and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we didn't realize it, and we also didn't realize how long it takes them to reproduce. And so taking that one large uh, is a male out of the population really uh, is, is troubling uh, to fish people because it takes a long time to replace that fish. So we got it wrong. And again, going back to being a science brain person, I'm not a scientist, being wrong doesn't hurt my feelings at all. I go, ah, all right, cool. I'm not going to do that wrong again. And we'll, we will make more mistakes as we go forward. But this was a big one for us. All right. But then, more opportunity to communicate with people. We got hired to make commercials. <coughs> you want to see a commercial? This is my. Anyone here ice fish at all? Yeah? That's my favorite. I love it. And so we did a commercial about jigging. This is the Fish Nerd Men about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Dave. And I'm Clay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm talking about digging for fish with a little jig and a rod. It's great for ice fishing. Uh, you know, most anglers prefer setting up tip-ups, but when we're going to catch fish, we jig. There are lots of ways to jig. Fast, slow, no movement, called dead sticking. All will work at different times. The key is to experiment. Fish can be anywhere in the water column, so start at the bottom and slowly work your way up. Don't spend more than 10 minutes in any one spot and move on if no fish are there. Some people bring flashers on the ice. Like this? <laughs> you know, sonars are called flashers, too. Yeah, so get on the ice and try jigging today. For more Fish Nerds fun, you can check out the Fish Nerds podcast on iTunes or fishnerds.com. Till next time, we're going fishing. Yeah. Pretty proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> we made a whole bunch of these. Some of them are about specific species of fish, like the fall fish. Our, native, our largest native minnow in New Hampshire, uh, smallmouth bass, all kinds of stuff. So a lot of fun, but we're going to move forward because we're burning time. All right, let's have a little fun. Let's play a game today. I need two volunteers. Doc, can you pick out two people? What are, you, what are your names again? What's your name? Uh, Donnie, D-O-N-Y. And Jeff, J-E-F-F. It's also my toast name. <laughs> it's also what? Uh, my toast name. He named a toad after me. Oh, that's a nice name for a toad. Perfect. So, regiment. Okay, so, science is hard, but fish names are harder. So, this quiz is as easy as a coin toss. I will read you, you a fishy name. It might be a science name or it might be a common name. You have to decide if it's real or something we made up. The stakes are high for this game. The winner will be get a beautiful 
fish nerd beanie made with 100% fur-bearing trout skin and lined with silky smooth fuzz shaved off the bottom of an Atlantic bearded hagfish. <laughs> and the loser gets the painting I made at lunch. <laughs> All right, so we All right, the first one, Loda Loda. Well, who are you asking, uh, Donnie or Jeff? First. Okay. So what's our question? Loda Loda. Is it real or fake? Is it a real fish or a fake fish? All you gotta do is yes no, or no. no. Yes. Correct. It's a fish so nice they named it twice. I've also noticed the burbot. All right. Now one for Jeff. Jeff. The slime dart. Yes, true. Do you know what it is, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, slime dart is part of the darter family. No. Well, there's a, slime, there's a slimy dart, but a slime dart is a chain uh, pickerel. pickerel in New Hampshire, anyway. Who knows where you're from? But, but yeah, good. Keep going, Zoe. Um, Donnie. Uh, spot checker stargazer. Say it again, nice and clear. A spot checkered stargazer. Spot checkered stargazer. Yes. Bang! <laughs> oh, I would have that wrong. <laughs> All right, give one for Jeff. Common Reef Killer. Common Reef Killer. That sounds like it has to be true. Sorry. Oh, oh yeah! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right over here! Right over here! Keep going, keep going! Okay. Slimy Illuminati. The slimy Illuminati, Donnie. What do you think? Yes. Oh, Hello. Donnie, come on. <laughs> Illuminati. Google Illuminati when you get home. Yes, Google it. Slippery dick. Slippery dick. That has to be true. That Watch your language. That has to be true. That is yes. true. Slippery dick okay. is a fish. Do you know what kind of fish it is? A dirty fish. It's a very dirty. It's a trigger fish. It's, kind of, it's a kind of trigger fish. I don't figure which kind it is. A cuttlefish. A cuttlefish. It's not a fish, but I will say. No, it's not a fish. It's not a fish, but it is a real, is it a real name of an animal. No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, I, need, I need audience participation on this one because we, cuttlefish is not a fish, right? As we know. Um, do we give him credit for saying it's not a fish, or do we take credit away because he says it's not a real name of, of a thing? So, who, votes, who, votes, who, votes, who votes give him the point? So, Alright, so we're, we're gonna we're tied up. Let's keep going. Yeah. All right. A snugglefish. Mm, that sounds like my housemate. <laughs> <laughs> you got better roommates I ever had. I never had snugglefish roommates. The best. <laughs> I want to say that is false. It is Correct. false. You get a point. Yes. Donnie. What? <laughs> snugglefish. That doesn't make sense. Cuttlefish okay. and snugglefish, that sounds Keep going. very similar. All right. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, say it. Want me to pronounce it? I got it. All right, this is. I got it. Okay, go ahead. Listen close. Mm -hmm. Chuka Chuka Kurau. It's a Chuka Kuka Rua. A chuka kuka rua. What's the language of that? <laughs> uh, I would say yes. 
Sorry, it's not a fish. I made that bunch of sounds I put together. Hit <laughs> <laughs> the next one, Zoe. Uh, All right. Hama Hama. Do you want me to read it? Uh, yeah. All right. This is a Hama Humini Kuna Kapow. That's false. Come on, Kapow? <laughs> that's a fish. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a beef triggerfish. The other one I said was triggerfish was wrong. It was not a triggerfish. So that's the game's over. So what are the scores? I got you. The scores are three to two. Three to two. So I get the prizes out. Thank you, guys. I always wanted a head. Where are you going? You've got to give your price to Donnie. Oh, okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I like it. One of the fun things about doing the show is having these fish quizzes. We do these quizzes all the time. And again, it's another opportunity to introduce new names and ideas and new kinds of fishes to people through this process of just having a fun quiz game. And it gets it more fun. Again, the more fun you're having, the better communication you're going to have doing it. Uh, the last fish we caught in the quest right before Dave quit, I'm now a solo artist, was Channel Catfish. And, uh, and, and it, we called it the last fish because it was like three years later and we had given up on a few species of fish, which I'll talk about if you guys want afterwards. But that was a 13-pound catfish. And in New Hampshire, Channel Catfish have only been in our state for about four years. So here's a brand new invasive. Uh, we ate that one too, by the way. Full of mercury. Mm. Um, so science communication, this whole thing now, because once Dave quit, now I'm able to travel around. Dave never traveled, he was a hermit, and I kept doing the show, I've uh, done, a, gosh, about 100 episodes without Dave now, I miss him, he was much funnier than me, and so much great guy to be around, but I've been starting to now get uh, to travel around and, and speak more and more, and these are some places I've been parents. We talked about public radio already. Last year, I got to, I do, I'm big on sustainable seafood and on lead free fishing, and I got invited down to go to the Virginia Aquarium and talk about sustainable seafood. I, I spoke at Whole Foods in Virginia Beach, uh, and I, I judged their sustainable seafood festival. I've been on Speak Up for Blue, which is an ocean conservation podcast, talk about lead free stuff with them. And of course, on my show, we try as much as we can to talk about conservation. Um, with fishing, especially since I learned an important lesson with the uh, with the mako shark. The other thing I learned is that a lot of fisher people, not, there's no other fishing shows on on Apple that really talks about um, conservation. They talk about fishing, and it, it, I always see them as the same thing. There should be a match. There should be the same topic, but most most fishing podcasts are a bunch of good old boys talking about crappie fishing, and that's about all they go with. Um, and you can do both. And we try to bridge that gap between science and uh, fishing and try to bring it all together. And if you're a good science reader and a good science talker, you're probably also can catch a lot of fish. Are there any more slides? Ah. So we always close. Uh, <laughs> until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early, spawn often. Never trust a fish strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. That's how we stop every show. And not mine's a regular now on our show, which we're so happy about. Not now, but five years. So now I'm available for any kind of questions. Anyone? And we're back. Now it's time for questions and answers with the stu from the students. Uh-oh. Dog noise. I should say we're in Doc Martin's house, and her dog is... Crazy. Of, yeah, absolutely crazy out of her gourd. So 
<laughs> uh, that will be just par for course. Also, it's echoey because there's no furniture. We're sitting on on cement slab right now. Um, with there's no the walls don't even up yet. There's no insulation yet. There's no electricity in the house. We're by candlelight and just barely getting through the day. They've been here for two weeks, and uh, you know. But when you when you're 22 year old homeowner, that's just the way it works out. <laughs> Doc Martin, you want to read the first question for us? Sure. So we uh, have first a lot name of the student, please. Yes. Yeah, so this so is from, from Ben, and he has two questions. So we'll start with the first one, and he wonders: Have you ever thought about catching all of the freshwater fish in a different state? Yes. Next question. No, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, where are you from? Missouri. How many freshwater fish in Missouri? A lot. A lot, like uh, hundreds, I'm right? I guess there's. High 300s to low 400s because the Ozark streams have a very high diversity. So, yeah, it would be a lot of fish. Yeah, and and so the the one of the fun things about this project was uh, Ben was that New Hampshire only has the 48 fish, so it was a very manageable number. However, there are people who are doing this, and they are species fishing is a real thing. And there's a dog chasing a cat under the table. Um, and people go for it all the time. But, yeah, I've, I've considered we, – we thought about doing all of New England and sticking with states where the glaciers have really crushed out those populations to keep the numbers uh, low. Next question. Okay. Um, what is your view – this is also from Ben. Mm -hmm. So what is your view on all the invasive sport fishing? Yeah, you can almost say that I, – I, in where I'm from, almost every sport fish is invasive. <laughs> <laughs> and so it really depends how you define invasive. So what's an invasive species? An invasive species is a species that was introduced into an area. Just introduced or is there something bigger? But they and most invasive species have a big effect on an introduced species. Some species don't have any effect. They're just there. Yeah, so like a lot of sports fishermen would claim that their fish are not invasive because there's a positive economic impact on the community. And then scientists, we, a lot would say, I don't care about the economic endpoints, bad for ecological things. But without invasives in New Hampshire, we wouldn't be catching very many fish. So I, I have mixed feelings about it. I think at some point the fish are there. You can't get rid of them. I don't know. What do you think about invasive sport fish, Doc? Uh, sure. So I think one of the most interesting things is, especially with carp, that is a fish that people do fish for. I think, Jeff, you like to fish for carp. Um, and so... One of the things that has come around with invasive species is that some species like the carp live where we humans have made the water so terrible, none of the other normal native fishes will survive there. Um, so I guess you could look at it as, well, at least there's something. I love that attitude. <laughs> and there are some scientists who think at some point those invasives have been there long enough where mm -hmm. they are just a fish that lives there. And I'm kind of in that brain space in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so uh, one of the papers that I know I was forced to read as an upper-level undergraduate, and I encourage a lot of folks to read is... I force you to read. It. Yes, it's, you should. It's really good. I just imagine you, <laughs> I imagine, like Clockwork Orange, your eyes are propped <laughs> oh, open. God, yeah, Someone's no. putting eye drops in there and holding scientific papers in front of your face. <laughs> it's Ludovico exactly how technique. Yeah. Ludovico, is that what you said? <laughs> Ludovico technique. It's exactly how I run all my classes, yes. It's pure indoctrination, of course. Yeah. <laughs> all the conspiracy theories are true. Yeah. Um, no, but so it's a, a question that scientists pose. I don't remember who the authors were. It was published maybe a decade ago. Um, but when we talk about restoring habitat to pristine conditions, when? 
Yeah, How far back are we going to go? Dinosaurs. Because, I mean, there were a lot of, you know, large land mammals in North America that aren't here anymore that if we brought those kinds of things back would actually be uh, probably a, a public hazard. They would not be very nice to humankind. So how far back are we going until we say that's the goal? And I think that a lot of folks, when they imagine kind of going back in time, it's not maybe that far in the distant past. And so it's just an interesting question. <laughs> right. We have a dog jumping on top of us Scully. while we're recording. All right. Next question, Doc. Scully, what's your question? <laughs> Which one of you tastes the best? <laughs> That's Scully's question. Scully knows the answer. Okay. So um, uh, this is the, the two the two for question one you get pretty often by from Calvin. So which fish tasted the best and which one was the hardest to catch? Oh, good question. Best tasting freshwater fish in New Hampshire, I say it's the walleye, just the cheeks. And the hardest to catch, northern red belly dace for me. And for Dave, it was the, um, was the banded sunfish. All right. Yeah. Um, next is from... No big stories. <laughs> <laughs> the easy answers. Yeah, moving on. Uh, so this is from Danielle. And she asks, what made you become so fascinated with fish? Jeff, why do you like fish? I think fish are cool. <laughs> um, I don't know, just a general fascination from being a kid who like spent a lot of time around lakes and streams and stuff as a kid and was basically raised with a fishing pole in his hand. But <clears throat> beyond that, I just was always the kid that was fascinated with this fish and snakes and toads and lizards and everything else and um i don't know and i also like to eat fish fish is delicious yeah that, for me it's it's the fascination with all animals and the fish is that one wild animal that you can hold and let go and hold and let go and so that i like touching animals and it's the only one acceptable to catch and release so if i'm outside out you know catching uh, coyotes and releasing them or catching foxes and releasing them and you can't just hold them and take a there's no i like taking the photos of the i don't know i, like, I, I don't think they'd be very cooperative in that photo process no they aren't they're terrible at it they scratch you bleed a lot it's terrible but i like holding animals and fish is like one animal that you can do it legally like i don't think it's legal to catch wild animals legally most of the time and catching these hunting doesn't work unless you have really big suction cups I guess you can shoot them with a paintball gun and take a picture of the splat on the side of the deer and say, I got it. Well, it's funny you say that. Oh, God. Because in, <laughs> yeah. in New Hampshire, we've got moose, and they've got a problem, and the problem is ticks. Ticks wipe out moose populations. Mm -hmm. They destroy them. And so the solution, I think, would be to forget about hunting for moose to, as sport for ki killing them, but give, allow ang uh, anglers, allow hunters to buy little tiny bullet darts that are full of like front line or some sort of tick killing thing then let them go out and shoot all the moose they want but shoot them with a front line dart and now you've got hunters who get to shoot a thing and you get moose who get benefited from being shot they get the front line and all the ticks fall off them i think i'm go. a genius win-win yeah. win -win situation yeah that's my wife's idea i didn't think of that remember when okay. we thought about that fox and the paintball gun remember we had that fox problem you... We thought about shooting it with a paintball oh, gun. I thought you were telling something we really did. That didn't happen. No, it didn't. Remember, I said, remember when we thought about it. I thought you said, remember when we killed that fox with a paintball gun? We shot him in its eye. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me in trouble. Okay. Um, next question is from Anna. And Anna wants to know, Clay, That's how me. long did it take for your podcast to become known? Today. 
<laughs> uh, so that's a great question because here's the thing about podcasts. Nobody's listening. Literally, the median podcast, there's some data, you like data. The median podcast, there's 500,000 on Apple right now. The median is 120 downloads. That means 120 people listen. I'm, I'm way over that now. We are, not I, we are way over that now. But for two years, I didn't know how many people were listening. And I'm pretty sure it was just Doc Martin and Jeff Danielson were the only <laughs> listeners I had for two years. I'm not sure. It takes a long time. It's a slow thing. Uh, if you're getting, if a podcast gets over 1,200 downloads a month, it's in the top 20% of all podcasts. If it gets 5,000, it's in the top uh, 10%. And if, if, if it gets uh, 20,000, it's in the top like 1%. Like it's, it's the rare podcast that can get that many listens a month. And I'm not telling. More than, more than the median. And I'm actually, I'm in the top 20%, but not by much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can I read the next question? Do it. Next sure. One. So this one's from Jeff. And how about this stuff, this bottom one? Have you ever come across any fish being parasited? That been that's parasitized. Poor. Yes. Lots. I think every fish I've yeah. come across. Yeah. Yeah. So we have they have polka dots. They do. Yeah. So I call them salt and pepper fishes. So in New Hampshire, if you catch like yellow purge and smallmouth bass, they're covered in tiny little speckled black dots. So they're covered in them. And if you fillet the yellow perch, you get these bigger worms. And a couple of years ago, when you were little Zoe, we caught an Atlantic salmon that had a tapeworm in it. Don't worry, we ate it before I told mom about the tapeworm. It's a true story. <laughs> you also ate it. I wish we could record her look right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I took the tapeworm out and took a photo, emailed to a biologist, and then fed the fish to you guys. I didn't eat any of it. And then um, and, and then the biologist said, that's a salmon tapeworm. Make sure you cook your fish well and don't eat sushi that's fresh. That was the advice I got. Next question. <laughs> okay, so the next one is from Alex. And he wants to know, have you ever thought of doing a show with other animals, like with hunting or trapping? Good question. I have thought of it. I have, but I, I don't hunt. And I, I have friends who hunt who make hunting podcasts. And I'll have them on the show occasionally, and I'll ask some questions. We do spear, so that's close to hunting. And in Vermont, you can shoot fish with a rifle, so that's almost hunting. Do you ever <laughs> shoot a fish with a rifle? That's crazy. Yeah. That, 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 no, I've never shot a fish with a rifle. Um, yeah, that's. Would you? I've seen this done on television of people tromping around shooting. I believe it was northern pike somewhere. Maybe it was Michigan. Um, no. Um, number one, I don't want to blow a giant hole in a delicious fish. I mean, if I'm going to shoot it, it's obviously it's going to die and I'm going to eat it. And so I don't want to blast big holes in it. Also, I have concerns about bullets bouncing off water. That's a thing that they teach you in hunting safety is to not shoot at water. And so the whole concept of shooting at fish, I just find uh, <clears throat> dangerous, I guess. Yeah. Near as I can tell. Vermont's the only state where it's legal, and specific to Lake Champlain, and there's about six species of fish where you can do it with, and when you shoot the fish, you're not actually hitting the fish. The shock wave from the, from the shot hitting the water is stunning the fish, then you can go scoop it out. So, but I have lead concerns with a lot of this. I'm like, yeah, it's, the lead's bad. So, but yeah, no, and I have friends who make hunting podcasts, and I've been on their shows, and I've had them on my shows, um, but hunting's not my sport, 
I, I'll eat a large dead mammal, but dragging one out of the woods says it sounds terrible. I don't, I don't want to do it. Next. All right. So next is uh, from Hui Quan. And I think this is oh, I a, met that person. Yes. So yeah. um, let's see. They have two questions, but I think this one is an important one. This might be a language barrier question. Okay, let's do it. So what does ice fish mean? Oh, she, oh, because where was she from? Um, I believe China. China yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I assume so much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, ice fishing means you cut a hole in a frozen lake and you catch fish. Simple. Simple, simple question. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. I'm, I'm so culturally dumb, <laughs> so <laughs> my <good>. apologies. <laughs> okay, um, so the next one is from Z-Way. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Oh, so this is a question about the American eel that you had. Yeah. So they said, American eel can live in the ocean, question mark. Is it not a freshwater fish? Great. So Catagmus, as we talked about, is born in the ocean, lives in freshwater. And in northern North America, there are no freshwater eels. So if you see an eel anywhere in North America, it was born in the ocean. So that's the answer. That's a good one. Yeah. Let's see. It's true, Jeff. True. True. Next one is by from Shin. Uh, do all the fish we get from rivers, can we eat them? Oh, so Jeff, can you eat every species of freshwater fish from a river? Depends on the river. Um, if I caught a large fish out of the Missouri or Kansas River, I certainly would need it due to uh, accumulated toxins in the rivers, especially if they're big uh like catfish, things like that, that are high on the food chain. I would not eat anything like that. Um, I have eaten fish from the Missouri River. Um, I have eaten white bass caught from the Missouri River, but they were smaller and not as uh, not as likely to have as much of the accumulated uh, toxins. But that said, um, typically I think in most situations the big fish are the concern if there is a a concern about contamination. It, it, and the, so the question could be two, read two ways. It could be read, are they all edible, right? And the answer is probably they are. Or should you eat them all, right? Well, we do have venomous fish, which are not poisonous, right? So what's the difference between venom and poison? If it bites you and you die, uh -huh. then it's venomous. Mm -hmm. If you bite it and you die... Then it's poisonous. I heard right. that on varmints. Yeah, well, those varmints know a few things about that, but they're wrong about bison. <laughs> now, they're not. <laughs> they're very not. Okay, so to answer the question, you can, in New Hampshire, we, that came up. We were eating the margin mad tom, which is a venomous catfish. And we called the fishing game biologist and said, Can we eat this thing? And they said, No one eats those things. I said, Well, is it legal first? Yes. Can we? And they said, Can or should? So that's the question. We ate it. And then, so Jeff was talking about um, contaminated fish. We do have a lot in New Hampshire. Big problem with mercury. Uh, and the larger fish, a so big carp, for example, things like mercury aggregate in the fish's meat over the years. So the bigger the fish, the more mercury. So yeah, you can. Doesn't mean you should. But some cultures, there's no differentiation. They eat every fish they catch. All right. All right. Next. So next question is from, from Donnie, who was on our little game show there. I like Donnie. Yes. I don't think he understood all of our game. <laughs> but he's, a, he's one of my GTAs. He mm. does a really good job. So he's a, he's like a pretty him. good sport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, this is a, a two-part question. The first one is, so what is the major purpose of your organization? I assume he means the fish nerds. Gosh, I wish I had it. 
<laughs> and then do you try to protect the fish that you are fishing for or talking about? Great question. I that, I get asked this a lot, actually. I go to like podcasting conventions and they say, oh, don't podcast without a, por- a purpose. I don't have a purpose. I talk about fish, fishing and eating fish. That's my purpose. I like talking about things. So there's no goal, which is problematic. Jeff, you've been listening for a long time. Do you sense any kind of goal? No. <laughs> no. What, um, what about the Well, goal there was a goal early on. There yeah. was a goal early on. When we were fishing. Yeah, that that was, but I think <clears throat> I think by making it less specific it's actually better rather than just being about techniques about fishing or if it was just about um conservation it would draw f- less interest and so I think the fact that it's a fairly broad ranging uh area of interest that We'll get more people listen than would just be if like we were just talking about, oh, okay, so you're going to go out and catch yellow perch and here's how you're going to do it. Right. Now they say uh, the reason I'm not making a lot of money podcasting or any uh, is because the riches are in the niches. And so if I would just niche down and be specific about my goals, I would be a rich, famous podcaster. But then I wouldn't have this much fun. But I wouldn't be here. Do you think there's <laughs> such a thing as being a rich podcaster? That, no. <laughs> even, even, the, even the very high, so like take for instance something like that's crazy popular like My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is one of the most, it's it's a very funny What's podcast. They're barely making a living doing this. And they they actually have multiple, multiple podcasts. That's three brothers. And I think they just, they're not getting rich. They make a living, but they're certainly not getting rich. There it is. It's true. Yeah, and the, the famous podcast that Jeff just mentioned, the rest of us are like, I've never heard of that. I, I thought he was going to say, like, so Joe Rogan is like the number one podcast or money-making podcast. Right. And oh, I don't listen to that one. No, occasionally. Is Some, it good? If, if there's a good guest, it's <laughs> oh, all about okay. the guest with Joe. So like they had, uh, he had a, uh, it doesn't matter, but it's, the guests really matter for that show. Um, so I'll go on. Elon Musk is on. I'm going to listen, you know? Oh, okay. So that's how I, he's a great interviewer and they're long form. So you have to be willing for two hours of listening to one person interview. Mm, so, that's a hard sell. <laughs> that's hard for me. But he makes money at his show, but he was already famous. People who make money podcasting already had money. The best way to make a million dollars is already start with a million dollars. That's All right, so the next question is from Curtis. Um, Have you tried to have new regulations implemented after the Mako shark issue? No. No, I haven't. Uh, It's not a road I'm going to go down, so I will encourage people through through what I do to not hunt and kill Mako sharks, but I'm not uh, politically motivated in that sense. So good question, though. I should, but I'm not. um, It's just not my fight. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> just a question. I don't think there's a right don't answer. Don't judge me. I'm, I'm just some guy who fishes. Okay, so this is from Justin. Oh, this is great. Okay. How many freshwater fish are there in the whole country, Clay? <laughs> well, last time I counted, I had a little tally sheet going. I came up with 26,311. So. We need to ask Ben, the species angler. Ben Cantrell. Yes, he would know. I'm sure he would know. Ben, if you're listening, please call the Fish Nerds hotline at 607-378-FISH. How many fish in freshwater in the United States or North America? What is Ooh. it? Ooh. What would 
what is the question specifically was the the country so North America North yeah America. the answer is a lot but Ben Cantrell probably would know it's a good yeah, point but he would know the answer to that because he's trying to catch them all he's, he's at like six hundred something crazy yeah. wow yeah okay so next is from Michael well let's see. Um, there's two questions. We'll see if you, how you feel about the first one. Okay. Hit it. So how would you define a fish in the simplest of terms? Simplest terms. Zoe, what's a fish? A fish is a fish. There it is. Simple. Okay. Next question. <laughs> next question. I love it. It's a perfect answer. What is the heart? <laughs> I know it when I see it. <laughs> it's not wrong. No, it's not, not technically wrong. Yeah. What is the hardest fish to catch in your opinion? Uh, in... Anything in Silver Lake in New Hampshire. <laughs> no, the truth is, is all fish are easy if they're there. Yep. Uh, they all fish eat, and so you get, once you know what they're eating, which at ninety percent time is something that, like a worm or other fish, you catch them. But if they eat plankton and filter feeders, then it becomes more challenging. <laughs> How do you catch a fish that eats zooplankton? You make microscopic little hooks and stuff. Attach them all to jigs that go up to one thing, mm-hmm. it goes up to one thing, mm-hmm. and goes into your rod. Perfect, that's the answer. You jig like that until they go. All right, so this is from Shui Shui. And how did you find so many different kinds of fish? So how do you find those fish? So uh, every state does scientific collection with their fish and game department, and you own that data in your state because it belongs to the people. Your government is you, your people. So you have, if you request it, they give it to you. And so I had a Google map over, I mean, I had the data, uh, GPS coordinates of every fish in the state of New Hampshire laid over a Google map, and I found the fish using data points. Easy. Have you done that, Jeff? I have used the Fishes of Missouri book by, I should know the author, uh, but it gives range maps for everything, and so you can go and try to find those things. Although sometimes you find stuff in places where you least expect it. Um, occasionally you catch something that is way out of where you would expect it to be. But mo- most of the time, say for instance, if I want to catch a chain pickerel in Missouri, I'm going to have to go to the far southeast part of Missouri to do it. Um, and I would get that information by looking in that book, The Fishes of Missouri by some guy. Some guy. And it's a very useful book if you're a species angler. So you can use this book, but also that data from those surveys because they electroshock the rivers. And so those most of those books are going to give you a lot of the the game fishes, but they don't always give you that down to they the... They give you everything in the fishes of Missouri. They do? Yes. That's amazing. That's a rare book. That's cool. Okay, so the next question is from Kelsey. Uh, do you speak to schools with younger students? I do. In fact, my day job is working with kids, so I do it all the time. Okay. And she has another question. Mm-hmm. What are your aspirations for your franchise? We have a franchise. <laughs> right. That's a great. I would my my goal with it. My my goal. I almost said goal. I could have a goal. My, I would love to see the podcast get picked up by a sponsor that can make me enough money to make a living doing it, and I can pay professional editors to make it sound better. I don't like editing. <laughs> okay, the next one is from Mulen. The first question is, what should I prepare for fishing in the winter? Uh, you, boots. You need to wear really warm boots. And if you're talking about ice fishing, 
Uh, if you've never done it, go with someone who's done it. So here's what I recommend. Go with Chad. Go, you, know, you can come to New Hampshire and you can pay me to do it. Or what I did, first time I ever went ice fishing, is I saw some guy in the ice fishing. I went and bought a six-pack of beer. And I walked out on the ice. I put it down next to him. And I said, can you show me how to do this? And he didn't say a word to me. He popped the beer out of the water, out of the, out of the thing, opened the top, and took us. What is the largest fit you've ever, fish you've ever seen? And seen, gosh, um, what's that big oar fish that I, the longest I've ever seen? The oar fish, but the biggest I've ever caught was that mako shark. All right. So the next question is from Sam. Um, how did you go about setting up for your podcast? I like that Sam called me Clay Grover. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. To give, a, give him a little. Yeah, so that question, I don't, I don't know what he means exactly. If you want to know what I'm recording on in that room, we were using a Zoom H4N handheld held four-track recorder with a, uh, a, a Rode shotgun mic. That's my setup in that room. This room, we're using two uh, ATR2100 microphones. But then all the technical stuff, you could just Google how to make a podcast and find your answers. Google has the answers. Google. So speaking of where to get your answers from, yes. Sam also wants to know, where do you get most of your scientific information or data? Oh, I, I get Well, it's funny. I used to have to do all this research. But now we've been doing it long enough where almost everything I get, I get from listeners. Almost every news story we do, almost everything, like Jeff will share a link or you'll share something or to listeners mostly. Oh, so this is from John. Are most of whoop, are most of the non-natives brought in for game fishing reasons? Do you know this one? Well, I know that originally the carp was brought in as a food fish, but a lot of them are brought in for game fishing reasons. For instance, in Missouri, there were no. Uh, what all have we introduced for sport fishing? We have introduced. M the northern pike, I think, muscalunge, although that's only in a very few limited places, but then the rainbow trout and the brown trout, which everybody is favorite fish, but absolutely not native to Missouri at all. So um, I'd say in the past, a lot of the introductions were for sport fish, but I think now we're getting a lot of um, exotics from the pet trade. I would imagine. And then like the Asian carp, the silver carp and the big head carp that got out of fish farms, that was a was an issue. But I think by and large, most of the exotics nowadays are coming from the pet trade. Yeah. So I was going to say pet trade and game fish. And if you're looking at all your minnow species, almost all those introduced ones came from the bait fishing areas. So the, you could say for, for, for that. But yeah, it was... Yeah, and Florida is known for that. Florida has a huge, one of the biggest problems with invasive fish from the pet trade. Those armored catfish just take over. And just invasive species. They also just have invasive species. Everything everywhere. in Florida is invasive. That's what Paul said. You know, one of the my my conference and science friends, she does her research exclusively on those armored catfish, and she's got some pretty cool stuff off to get her on the show. Yeah, it's really Picasta, it's really cool. Picasta May. Yeah, yeah, my my terrible joke for the two hundredth episode, the Laura so Corday. Yeah. <laughs> so worst. That that joke was only good because you were laughing. <laughs> I can't. I couldn't. I was like, I don't want to tell it because it's so terrible. Okay, so the next question is from Brazita. 
And she wants to know what the craziest fish is you've ever caught and ate. <laughs> and I would also want you to define what made it crazy. Like bonkers, huh? For, I don't know. However you want to define crazy. I think the slimy sculpin was the craziest. I, it's a, so like cute. a little tiny dragon, which in its own right is crazy. And the sculpin don't have air bladders, swim bladders. So they, they kind of scoot across the bottom and you sight fish for them. And then the craziest thing is actually eating it because they're disgusting. They're absolutely gross. Yeah. And Scully's back. And Scully's back. Yeah. Slimy Scully. A couple more. We'll wrap this. Yeah, I'm, I'm skipping some repeats here. Okay. So, because we're getting similar questions. Oh, here. Oh, this is a good one. This is from Young Shang. What is the best time to fish, day or night? Depends on the fish. If it's a nocturnal fish, guess what? Nighttime. Yep. But my best. Excuse me. My best time to fish is whenever I have the time. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Whenever you, whenever you can get out there. Yep. Um, Lindsay wants to know if this, so the fish nerds, is that your job or do you do something else? Oh, great. I, I wish it were my job. I would be thrilled to have it be my job. Clay Gross, she called me <laughs> I, with a question. I'm like, yes, I'm gross. Um, Clay Gross? No, I write, I, I, I direct after school programs and write grants uh, and I teach at the community college in my town. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. A lot of big thank yous in this episode. I have to thank uh, Emporia State University for having us out there. Major thanks to Doc Martin. Couldn't uh, imagine doing the show without her. Jeff Danielson. Come on, the FN librarian. The Crappie Hippie and Mrs. Crappie Hippie. How cool to see them. And, of course, my daughter Zoe for coming out with me and... Everyone for getting us out there. So really big thanks, everybody. Um, and until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early, spawn often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every Whether chance. you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet. Or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.